Bert, you're stealing my lines, man. <laughs> y'all sound awesome today, too. And y'all sound awesome today, too. Hey, uh, there's flashbacks of uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, the, the Messiah. So thank you for that blessing. That gift is beautiful. And, and to gather and to learn some new songs, particularly that, that new song, uh, uh, is uh, such a, it's, it's beautiful. So uh, I, know, I don't know about you, but sometimes you sing songs like that. And hallelujah, hallelujah, the song in my heart, singing praises. I'll go home. I'll be remembering that all afternoon, you know. It just keeps on running through your heart and running through your mind. That's a, that's a gift of the Spirit if that happens for you. So uh, just it's a blessing uh, to be together in uh, in the gift of risen life in Christ. As we uh, come into our message this morning, it's the first in this series entitled uh, The Richness or the Riches of the Risen Life. And I want to focus in on the last verse that John writes in his gospel. It's verse 25, chapter 21. Uh, Josephine read these words for us, and, and so I just want to bring them forward uh, for us again to focus in on this morning. There are also many other things that Jesus did. Many other things that Jesus did. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose that the world itself could not contain all the books that would be written. There are so many other things that Jesus did. If they were all written down, I imagine not even the world itself could contain all the books that would be written. May God add his richest blessing to this reading, to our understanding, to the gift of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you our thanks. We give you our praise as we gather this day as an Easter people. We thank you that the, the risen life of Christ would rise within our hearts, would help us to know that love and hope and life are a gift from you. And so in that faith, we can sing our praises and we can lift our hallelujahs. And we thank you for the way that in this day, you would draw us into that spirit not only of praise, but also of service. Lord, we ask that you bless the word, that you open up our hearts and minds, that you help us to receive, and in receiving, help us to be lifted, and being lifted, help us to then step forward in ways that we would love, in ways that we would glorify you with a, a life lived, a risen life lived in your name for that blessing that you would grant and give in your grace. We give you our thanks and praise through Jesus our Lord. Amen. You know, last week it was a, so special to gather together, and if, uh, if you had opportunity to be here last week, it was a glorious, glorious week. And again, choir, I want to thank you for the blessing y'all brought last Easter morning. The music was, again, phenomenal and just such a, such a gift. And to be able to gather and worship was so special last Easter morning. 
But I want to tell you one of the other things that made Easter special for me is not simply we gathered together as a family of faith, but, but what happened in my own personal family was also really special uh, last Easter weekend because we had the privilege of having my son, daughter-in-law, and our one-year-old grandson come to be with us over Easter. And I'll tell you, that's always special when you, they come up from Houston, so to be able to have them come, that's always a real, a real treat for us. And, and as they came in, um, Julie and I determined, well, we'd uh, provide a treat for our son and his wife. And so on, on Friday morning, got late Thursday night, Friday morning, we said, we all sleep in. You know, you can just, you've driven hard and, you know, you come a long way. And, and so you just sleep in. We'll get up early with the baby. You know, we'll get up, we'll get him diapered, we'll get him dressed, we'll feed him breakfast. You know, it sounds like we're doing a nice thing for them, really doing a thing for us. You know how that works. You know, it's really about how we want to spend time with our grandson without them interfering in the middle of it. So, so you know, so we come along and, and everything went great. We got him up, we got him diapered, we got him dressed. Everything went great till we got to breakfast. And so uh, our daughter-in-law had said, well, Fred likes to eat eggs. He loves scrambled eggs. And so, okay, we, we can do scrambled eggs. That's, that's not a hard request. And, and so we went ahead and, and uh, we got the pan out, scrambled up the eggs, and we tried to keep it kind of a little bit soft. Not runny, but you know how it is, just a little bit, you know, uh, soft consistency. We thought, well, he'll probably like it that way. And, and so we brought the eggs out, served them up, you know, like you'd serve kind of the king. Here you are, Fred. Yeah, we know you'll love these. And turned up his nose. Couldn't believe that, you know? Uh, so he turns up his nose. We thought, well, maybe he doesn't like his eggs soft and runny. You know, maybe he likes them more firm. So we put him back on the stove. We burned him up, you know, a little harder and, and uh, brought him back. And no, you know, not eating those eggs. And then we thought, well, maybe he likes them chopped up. Maybe he doesn't like the big uh, portions of scrambled egg. Maybe he likes some like little portions of scrambled eggs or something. So we chopped them all up. We chopped them all up, brought them back. No luck. Finally, we gave up. We just went with Cheerios. And, and uh, Cheerios always win, you know, with kids. So we went with the Cheerios. His mom and dad get up in a couple hours. They come out. We said, you know, we, th we thought you said he likes scrambled eggs. You know, that was our understanding. And, and then his mom said, oh, I forgot to tell you. You know, this, that's always what you love to I forgot to tell you, he likes dash on his eggs. Now, dash is kind of a blend of spices and herbs. And you see, he likes dash on his eggs. Oh, okay, got it. So the next, so the next day on Saturday, same thing. You know, Fred gets up, we diapered him, dressed him, bring him out. We get the eggs, you know, kind of whipped up, put the dash on his eggs. And guess what? Man, chat him right down. We thought, this is good. We, know, we now know the secret. We went to lunch, you know. He had some chicken for lunch. Kind of didn't really, wasn't too keen on the chicken. Guess what we did? Dash, yeah. <laughs> he ate the chicken too. <laughs> you know, I, I, know, I know the secret to that kid's diet now is dash. Put a little bit of dash on anything, it goes, it goes all the way, you know. Uh, yeah, it, it, dash was the little extra. They made all the difference. A little extra that made all the difference. I want to tell you this morning, I'm not here to promote Dash. You know, although it is a good salt substitute, so if that works for you, that's great. But I'm not here to promote Dash. We are here to proclaim Easter. And we're here to proclaim Easter, not as a little extra that makes all the difference. We're here to proclaim Easter 
as the life-giving extra that makes all the difference. Easter is the life-giving extra that makes all the difference that in Easter, what we have celebrated and what we have experienced is the victory of triumphant life through the power of sacrificial love as it is embodied in Jesus the Christ. The victory of triumphant life through the power of sacrificial love as it is embodied in Jesus the Christ that brings together the whole notion of Good Friday and the whole notion of Easter Sunday morning and says, this is how God works God's grace in the life of Jesus. And so we gathered together last weekend and we celebrated that as a breakthrough event. A cosmic breakthrough event. We called it an event horizon last week. And it was, it's a breakthrough because you and I know this story. We know how Easter unfolds, that, that in Good Friday, when we watched Jesus be crucified on the cross, we thought, well, it's hate and it's sin and it's evil that put Jesus in the grave and that have the last word. And so we thought, well, you know, that's how the story ends up. That was Friday. But you and I know, as the good preacher has said, that Sunday's coming. <laughs> you and I know that what happens is that when Sunday morning comes, when the sun rises, the sun rises. And as the sun rises, the Son of God rises, what we begin to find out is that death did not have the last and final word. What we find out is the one who was the first word, the creative word, the word of God that brought all things into being, that that first word is also the last word, is also the final word, is also the decisive word, is also the determinative word, that Jesus Christ and his rising from the grave, that is God's word of life for the life of the world. And we celebrated that last week as we gathered as an Easter people. And we said that this is at the center of who we are, that this is at the center of our faith. And then we come back here this morning, and as we gather again as Easter people, what we, what we begin to see is that that singular event of the risen Christ is not an isolated event. What we begin to see is that that Word of God begins to weave its way into the story of our lives in ways that as that risen Christ weaves His life and love into your life, into my life, in and through our faith, that it gives rise to a newness of life in us the power of the resurrection in us. What John does is John narrates the story of resurrection. It's beautiful in the Gospels because what he does is he tells the story of, of the risen Christ and of Christ rising. He does it in the context of the lives of persons who followed Christ. And that's how he narrates the story. He narrates the story through the life of Mary who comes to the tomb and as she comes to the tomb, you may remember that she looks inside and what she sees is that Jesus is gone. 
and that her grief overwhelms her. And in her sorrow, she says, they've taken away my Lord. I don't know where they have laid him. And she's just overcome by that grief in ways that she doesn't even recognize the risen Christ when Christ comes to be with her. And then he calls out her name and he says, Mary. And she comes to this point of realization. And as she comes to that point of realization that the risen Christ is with her, her life changes. And as her life changes, she runs from that tomb and she shares the good news, I have seen the Lord. And so John begins to narrate that the risen Christ has been with her in those places where she was weeping, where she was in sorrow. And the risen Christ has brought her comfort and has been her joy, the power of the resurrection in her life. And then John narrates this story about the 11 disciples who gathered together in the upper room and they gather in fear because the, the Jews who had just gotten Jesus were now, they thought, out to get them. And so they gather there in fear as they hunker down and as they're in the lockdown mode. What happens is Jesus comes to be with them. And as Jesus comes to be with them, he says, peace. And as he says, peace, and he is with them, all of a sudden that fear turns into a boldness where they become the witnesses who take that word of the risen Christ out into the life of the world. And so fear shifts into boldness. And then the next story that John narrates is the story of Thomas. You know how Thomas was not there with the 11 when they gathered in that upper room. And, and as he's not there with them, he doesn't believe the story that they bring, that the Christ is risen. He says, unless I see the nail prints in his hands and, and place my hand in his side, I will not believe. And you and I know that the risen Christ came and said to Thomas, put your fingers here, put your hand here. Don't be faithless, be believing. Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And so what happens is that the story of the risen Christ is narrated through the life of Thomas as doubt turns into faith. And then you go forward from there, and as you go forward from there, there were seven disciples that decided they were going to go back fishing after they met the risen Christ, which I don't know how you figure that one out, but they dropped their nets over one side of the boat. They fished all night long, and they were, always came up empty. Jesus comes along, says, drop your net on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden, their nets come up full. And so there's a shift from emptiness to fullness. And then there's Peter, who's by the fireside on the beach, and it is reminiscent of another fire in a courtyard where Peter denied Jesus three times, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes to Peter on the beach by a fire and restores him three times. For every time Peter has denied Christ, Jesus restores and reconciles the Christ. And so what you begin to see is as you see story after story after story, you see Mary, you see the disciples, you see Thomas, you see the disciples, you see Peter, you see how these stories begin to unfold. You begin to say to yourself, you know what? Something's up. Something's up. John says, yes, something is up. These are signs. He says, all these stories, they are signs. And what a sign does is a sign, you know, we know what a sign is. What, is, what a sign is and what a sign does, is it points to a desired destination. It points us to a place where we want to be. And John says, you know, these carry the message. They carry a truth of where you and I want to be, where we want to be in our lives, where grief 
does turn to joy. We want to be at a place in our lives where fear does turn into boldness. We want to be at a place where doubt turns into faith, where emptiness turns into fullness, where guilt is forgiven and restoration and reconciliation are the reality of our lives. They point to the place where we want to be, where what begins to happen is that obstacles are overcome because the risen Christ is bringing a risen life to the people who follow Jesus. See, what begins to happen is as the story unfolds, it unfolds, the resurrection story, it unfolds through the life of the people in a way that the risen Savior brings risen life. And so John says, this is the reality that we are, that we are brought and that is proclaimed to us and we are brought into as we celebrate Easter. And that we can live in that reality. And he says, the way we live in that reality, he brings forward two ways that we step into it. And he says, the first way is this, through faith, through what we believe. He says, we have these things, these signs have come forward that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. What happens is that as we are brought into the reality of resurrection, we are asked to say that this is our foundation. This is what we trust. This is what we rely upon. This is what we rest in. This is what we know is our bedrock. This is the place that I come to and you come to when we begin to think about what determines our lives, what determines my life, what determines your life is faith and the reality that life is triumphant through the outpouring of sacrificial love, that Jesus as the Christ is the reality that you claim and I claim that claims us that claims you, that claims me. And so John says, believe that, trust in that, invest yourself in that. And as you do that, then he says, the next step, he says, is one of obedience. He says, then begin to live life in his name. Now, sometimes when people think about obedience, they think about obedience as a way of just kind of following along with the rules that what happens is that what religion does is it lays out the rules of what is right and wrong, and we follow those rules into right and wrong, and, and that's how we move in the pathway that God prescribes. And, and uh, you know, I believe in right and wrong, and I believe in the pathway that is laid out in the law, but I want to tell you, I think there's more to obedience than that. I think what begins to happen in obedience is God begins to open for you and for me opportunities to live in relationship, not simply rule-following, relationship. So that when Jesus comes, when Jesus is Emmanuel, God is with us. That in our obedience, we choose to be with God. That that sense of coming together with comes from both sides of the relationship. And so obedience invites us into that place in life where we begin to think, you know, my life, your life can be one that we are with Christ in and through our belief and in and through our faith. I can make choices. You can make choices. We do make decisions where we determine that that love and that kindness 
that mercy, that encouragement, that goodness, that sense of truth, that sense of justice, that peace, that those are the choices we begin to make as we follow the Christ. We begin to live life with Christ as best we know how to do that, that we seek after that, that we strive after that. Sometimes we even struggle after that. And as we seek to do all those things, I tell you, if we do it by ourselves, the Bible says, calls that a work. And I tell you, work does not work <laughs> if you look at how the scriptures come along. Because what needs to happen is that in the seeking and in the striving and in the struggling, God brings God's spirit. God brings God's spirit into my life, into your life, in ways that as we live our lives, that a risen Savior gives life to to a rising of newness of life in you and in me. And so what's going to happen over the next several weeks, over the next seven weeks, we're going to explore what this means in particular cases, because this morning all I've done is lay out a principle. But what happens is it begins to play out in very specific ways in my life, and in specific ways in your life. Because I don't know about you, but, you know, for me, there are times in my life where I am cynical. There are times in my life where I am judgmental. There are times in my life where I am prideful. There are times in my life where I am depressed. There are times in my life where I find myself separated from the life that God would have for me in Christ. And maybe you find yourself in, in sometimes in your life in those same places. And what happens is the risen Christ draws alongside of me and draws alongside of you and raises us up in those very places of life so that we know the risen, Christ, the risen life given by the risen Christ. And that is God's gift. Life is a gift from Jesus. You know, so we're going to be exploring that together over these next weeks. And as we do that together, we do it in light of the final verse that we read this morning, that final verse from John, which is a promise to you and to me, and is a promise that says this, that Jesus does many other things. Jesus does so many other things, so many things in your life, so many things in my life, that Jesus does so many other things that if they were all written down, written down what happens to me, written down what happens to each and every one of you, if they were all written down, the world itself could not contain the stories of how the living word begins to shape a holy story in your life. Because indeed, it would be God's gift, the riches of God's mercy for you and for me. The Savior comes risen Savior, bringing a risen life. And may that grace be yours this day and always through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's bow, let's pray together. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your grace. We give you thanks for the ways that in your grace you invite us into that life-giving extra that you pour out upon us in that power of your resurrection, the triumph of life, and the power of love embodied in Christ, embedded in us. Lord, for that gift of your mercy, for the ways that we claim it and live it in faith, and for the ways that you lead us forward by your Spirit, we give you our thanks and praise this day through Jesus Christ our Lord.
Amen. Invite us to stand to join together in singing our closing hymn. Our closing hymn is He Lives. Let's, let's, let's stand and let's sing.